Awesome. We're continuing our journey through 1 Timothy. I'll preface today's sermon by saying we are about to enter into uh, murky waters. Uh, what I mean by that is over this week uh, we'll, we'll, we'll arrive at the shore, but uh, next week we're going to dive right on into perhaps the most controversial text in the entire New Testament. Uh, so um, we're going to begin today by prayer or, or focusing on the priority of prayer. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. Uh, if you don't own one, it's our gift to you. Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy as he begins his, uh, uh, some of his exhortation to him, he's going to tell him first off to start in a posture of prayer. He's going to prioritize prayer. And so uh, he, he says it this way. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, he says, For, first of all, then I urge, he's saying urge, meaning make it a priority. I'm urging you, make it a priority that supplications, that means asking for things, in prayer, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of our uh, of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul, I think he's about to get into some gender stuff in this week and then at length next week. He's getting into church leadership stuff and it's going to get real controversial. Uh, and so I think it's interesting that uh, in God's sovereignty and in God's way of orchestrating and writing the Bible, even in this letter to Timothy, he tells him to prioritize prayer. So that's what I'm asking for you over the next week to prioritize prayer. I'm going to make a lot of points on that here right now. But, I, but as, I, as we look towards the perhaps some of the most controversial texts in the entire New Testament or Bible. Uh, uh, we, we don't have enough time to, to spend the thousands and thousands of, th- thousands of pages that have been written uh, in arguing over the text. But, but I will be clear. I will explain it. So pray for me uh, in that. And so he asks here, though. He says here, in, in prayer, prioritize, church, prioritize prayer. Prioritize it. This may be, and you need to understand the prayer is the, the powerhouse of the church. It really is. This is where before any preaching ever happened in the New Testament, God's people were in a room praying. And then they went down and preached. And it was after prayer, that the, and it was during prayer that the Spirit empowered the preachers to preach and thousands got saved. And so that prayer is an urgent priority, and he is urging Timothy to instruct the congregation. He's urging us, God is urging us to prioritize prayer. He says it in this way, to, to, uh, I urge you to make supplications. This is, this is request. This is asking God for things. So, and so I don't ever say the word supplicate, but, I, you know, just ask God. That's supplications, maybe not a word you're used to or we say. This is asking. This is typically what people think of prayer. I have a need, I go and ask. Ask. Ask God. There's a rule at my house. When we pray, every night, or any time we pray, we, but particularly at night when we go to bed, it's, you need to thank God for something and ask God for something. You can do anything and everything and other, uh, but you must thank him and ask him for something. That's our rule. Uh, he says uh, to make intercessions. This is prayer requests for other people. So uh, someone's sick and in need, uh, pray for them. They, may, they hopefully are praying, uh, but, but he's saying, church, y'all should be praying for them too. Uh, we have prayer requests uh, on the back. We have an opportunity for you to, to, to write prayer requests on the back of your Connect card. We, we make intercessions on your behalf as a staff every single week. Everyone who whoever fills that out and gives us prayer requests, we do this. We make intercessions. He says, make it a priority. Additionally, he says, do it with thanksgiving. What he's not saying is that these are the only, this is the prayer list. This is an exhaustive way to pray. He's, 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 he's saying prioritize prayer. He says, it has, make supplications, make your prayers, make your intercessions. He's, with thanksgiving, do it all. Pray, make sure you prioritize prayer. He's not giving an a exhaustive list of explaining what types of prayers to place. Pray them all. All kinds of prayers, all the time, for all people. That's what he says. And so he also uh, clarifies, when he says all people, he makes a slight um, 
comment about uh, rulers and, and people in authority. He says this. He says, pray for all people, for kings and for those who are in positions of power. This is our, our high positions of authority. These are leaders in, in your nation, country, wherever you're at. Uh, and so he's saying this because it's likely that you were willing and probably going to pray for anyone and everyone but them. He's like, he, what he's saying is that you need to understand that Jesus is king. He's king over your land. Now, we don't have a king. We're not a monarchy. But they, and, and, and they did, and many, some still might. But he's saying that it doesn't matter who's in authority, what country you live in, if you have a president or a dictator, Jesus is king. He's above it all. That means that Jesus, he says, and when he points to the fact that we're to pray for kings or those in leadership positions, what he is saying is that God still wants to work and act in, through whoever's in authority and in charge. And it's God's people who have the only power to overturn the hard hearts of, the, of leaders that, that, that may be in authority over them that aren't godly. It, and he says to do so through praying for them. This means that You've probably done this. I've definitely done this. I'll just start there. I've definitely done this. You know, like you pray for someone in leadership and you give this like vague prayer. Like, give them wisdom. Help them, Lord. May you guide them. Be serious when you're praying for your leaders. Like, what do you want to lead them to do? You're like, oh, just general, just God lead them. Well, if they, what about off a cliff? Sounds great, whatever, as long as, you know, it's just being led. Like, we don't want to be too specific. I mean, they're not Christians. Remember, we just got done studying Genesis with Joseph, who was uh, under authority, or, or in authority, but he was under the authority of uh, God, but also the Pharaoh of the day, who was a wicked ruler, who the wicked ruler sought his advice from uh, the godly man, and he ended up imparting God's wisdom and God's plans through Joseph for the entire nation of, of Egypt, but also the entire known world. Pray for stuff like that. Pray that, that those in authority would seek godly men who would be the, the type of men who were like Joseph, who were seeking God in his word, in his, in his ways, through the scripture, to enact, to walk out what God in his kingdom has set apart for us to do. This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, pray thy kingdom, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus isn't saying only if you have a Christian ruler. Hey, if you ever get to a moment where everyone agrees with you, then pray this prayer. The kingdom of heaven, like that's what we should pray. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We should be praying that those in, 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 uh, in, in authority, not just in the church, yes, in the church, but also in civil authority or in any governmental authority, we should be praying that they, that, God, that God's kingdom come and his will would be done even in and through them. And get specific upon your issues. What if your, 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 your life was when you were to pray for those who were in leadership or in uh, high positions, you would pray for them. Specifically, with unique ways. Not just like, God, let's get a new guy or new girl in, in that position. That's... That's what we pray. We tend to, when it comes to leadership, pray. Here's what it is. If you were like for the current president, then you're like, let's pray for him. And, but the last president, we're like, I ain't praying for them unless it's like, you know, dethrone him, oh Lord. Uh, or if you don't like the current president, you're the one now praying to dethrone him, oh Lord. Uh, and then if you, this is, you see what I'm saying? This is what we do. We only, we don't, we, we're so selfish in our prayers. He's saying pray in such a way that it has impactful change so that we Meaning the church may be able to live a peaceful and quiet, dignified, godly life. He's saying they were under persecution. Paul's in on house arrest in this letter. He's arrested while he's writing. He's like, hey, pray for the, that guy who put me in prison. That's awesome. Let's pray for him. Let's pray that, that God would do something and, and, and change culture in such a way through, through the message of the gospel that it, it impacts our, our entire society and our entire culture. What we must understand is when, we, when we're praying for leaders uh, over nations, what we're doing is we're praying, we're praying to the one who is the true leader over the nation. That's God. Jesus Christ is the true leader 
and king over all nations. There's one God. We just sang about it. We're about to talk about that here in a moment at length. There's one God. There's one king. There's one ruler. All worldly authorities must submit to King Jesus. To the degree that they don't, it's the degree that God's people call them to do so. Call each other. We call each other to do so. Every person on planet earth ought to yield, submit, surrender to the kingship, to the lordship of Jesus. Most don't. Most don't. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. It's saying that we should pray for them and trust that God is, just like God was willing and able in it, it, to work through evil kings like the Pharaohs and evil kings like the Nebuchadnezzars throughout the history of the world, God is still able to do that today. That should give you some power to pray. Like, God wants to answer your prayer. James 4, 2, the first part says, you have not because you ask not. How many of you have not received because you simply did not ask because you think God doesn't care about this stuff? I never thought about it. Praise God. Today, we've thinking, we're thinking about it. And so, the context here is that, that Paul's being persecuted, the church is being persecuted, uh, he, and he's praying that in the midst of co- uh, persecution that they would result in renewal, uh, a type of change, that, that, that people's lives would, would, there would be, the, the war would stop, peace would happen, and that there, there would be a peace that's in Christ that would reign, and that, that God's people would be able to, to live and worship and, and live their lives as, as God has called them to. He's saying pray for that. But what I need you to see is that when he's talking about prayer, he's not simply talking about just saying words in a room in the silence or out loud. He's talking about communicating with God because you have a relationship with God. Notice he's not saying, hey, tell the Muslims on the street to you know, ramp up the prayer meetings because we need more prayers. No, we need prayers of Christians. That's what we need. That's what we need. We don't need anyone praying to anyone else. We don't need more of those. Encourage those perspectives and types of prayers. No. Christians, you are the only ones that have access to God. The only ones. The only ones. And he's saying that, that, that if renewal is going to happen and the city is going to change and the nation is going to change, it starts with God's people prioritizing prayer. Why? Not just simply to get something. It's because they love their God. Any of you have a significant other? Have you ever talked to them? Absolutely. You're like, some of you are like, yeah, every day, often, multiple times. Why? Because you love them. Jesus loves you. You love him. If you do, then you pray. If you don't, maybe ask yourself, do you love him? Seriously, ask yourself. Because this is what, this is what he's saying is that prayer is like a right hand and a left, or right foot and a left foot of, of, bike, of a bike. You have, you have a prayer and then you have a transformed life. Because he says, pray that they would, have a, they would lead a certain life. So we pray, we get transformed by God. That means we communicate with God. We pray to him. We, it means we talk to God like a, like a man would a friend. Uh, it, it's, it's a relationship with God. We love him. He loves us. We're in relationship. We're in fellowship. We're in communion with God. And we know about who God is through his word. He's spoken already to us. We can know him. We can love him. We can, we can, we can figure out what is he like. What does he want us to do? What does he not want us to do? What should we pray? It's in the book. There's a lot of, like, where do you start? Anywhere. Anywhere. If you don't understand that part, go to, keep going. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep seeking God through his word. He says this, that when we do that, we're to be transformed. We're transformed. And so if you were to only be a praying person, but never, like, live out what God has called you to through his word, you're like a guy who only, you know, uses his left leg to ride a bike. Just wandering around in a cul-de-sac. Not really getting anywhere. But if you're the kind of person who's like, man, I'm, I'm all about doing anything, and I don't really need to read my Bible or pray. I just need to get stuff done. You're like the guy who uses his right leg and is just circling the other way. Neither of them are going straight or productive. God's people are to use both legs to uh, pray, seek the Lord, know our God, uh, have fellowship, communion with him, then also live it out. And that's how we, we keep straight. We don't deviate into the ditch of just knowledge and, and man, we, we pray so much that we're of no earthly good because we never see anyone. Like living in a monastery away from humans for your entire life praying is not Christianity. It's not helpful. He's not saying that. 
Like he's saying that their lives should be, uh, that their prayer life should form their, their, their life that they live. And he says this, that they would leave a peaceful and quiet life. This is something God must do. What he's not saying is go to the hills, hey, um, get away from people, get quiet, get alone, get away from society. No, this is something God must do. God must cause there to be peace and unity in, in, in the culture, in, the, in the, the land we live. Paul's preaching, and, in, and he's, he's not in prison at this point. He's on house arrest, but later when you're at 2 Timothy, he's going to be in prison, about to die. The second part is that we would be godly and dignified. This is what we should be no matter what our circumstances are. We're to to see God, what he has said through his word, listen and obey. Because why? Because we love him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's how we know that. He says that when we do this, we're also we're living our, our lives connected with God, abiding with God in his presence. And then what ends up happening is we live lives outside of our home, outside of the church, and it affects other people. And people are changed and transformed. He says this, that it is, this is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants people to be saved. In the same, there's been debate over what does he mean by all people? He's talking in the same way he says pray for all people, like, like kings. He's saying he desires all types of people to be saved as well, like kings, like rulers, like the people you don't like, the people you don't want to pray for. He desires them to be saved as well and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what he is saying is that the gospel city should be transformed. People should come to the knowledge of the truth, and it comes through Christians prioritizing prayer and then living out what God says in, in, in godly ways. In every nook and cranny of their life. That's what he is saying. And so the result is that people meet Jesus. They get to know Jesus. They, this is not, he's not saying be a quiet life means don't share what you think about what, who God is. What he's saying is, man, you're not looking to pick a fight, but, but you will be clear about who God is and what his word says. And when people are like, man, you're kind of, uh, we, we hate you. Why do you keep loving us? It's like, because, you know, what you didn't understand was God loves you more than me. Even if you are persecuted, you don't revile, you don't push back, you continue to be relentless in your pursuit of Jesus, knowing that he has secured your salvation, but also offering a hope and a salvation for those who have yet to receive it. He says it, that he desires, when he says desire for all people to be saved, what he, I need you to see this, he's desiring, God desires that people who are not in this room right now would become Christians and be in the room. A church that, that doesn't want to grow or multiply or increase is not a church. It's a Bible study at best. It's Christian huddle. It's dead Christians at best, at worst, I guess. Spiritually dead Christians. Right? He says, is, who, who desires people to be saved in this text? Who is it? Who's, who's the desire? Is it Paul, my desire? He said, guys, it's, it's the king's. Orders have come down straight from the king. He desires that, that all types of people be saved. Like even from the, the kings, the rulers, the people we don't like, the people we do like. And guys, they're gonna be one day in your church. And so we, got, we need to pray that God would save them. We need to pray that God would create it, help us create an environment to be welcoming. We need to pray that we would not be so offended uh, by, by, by people. We would be, pray that we'd have patience, pray that we'd have boldness because God desires them to be saved. Let me ask you this. Do you desire what God, our king, desires? Do you desire that? Like, do you hope and pray that, that one day that the people who you know that don't know the Lord Jesus would be sitting, worshiping right next to you. More than that, they'd be with you in eternity. The presence of Jesus forever. John 15, Jesus says that it is the, it is the Father's, the Father, the King. It's his desire that we bear much fruit. He says, when you abide in me, you can do anything. You, what, you, so that's what Paul is saying. Remain in Christ, abide, be godly, be dignified, seek the Lord in prayer, know your God, herald the news to your friends, and watch. There's power there. All of a sudden, people's lives are going to get changed. 
Prayer is where we have a relationship with God and it overflows into our lives that we're lived out on mission. The missional zeal that that Paul has here is birthed out of prayer. And and, and I need you to see this. It's, It's birthed out of a relationship with God. And then he gets to the news that everyone must know. This is the news that everyone must know. All people must know this news. He says this, that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He says, for there is one God, not two gods, not three gods, not a bunch of gods, not other gods. There's one God. There's one. Period. Everyone must know that. Those who worship many gods must know that they have been lied to, they've been duped, they are, it is false. There is one. And you can't add Jesus to all of them. There's only one. There is only one God. That's what he says. And there is one mediator between God and men. There's no other mediator between God and mankind. There's no other. You don't need a priest to sacrifice a bull for you. You don't need a priest to pray for you when you sin. You don't need to pray to Mary. You don't need to talk to anybody. You need to go to Jesus. He is the only mediator. This is offensive to half, three-fourths of the world. It's the only true thing, though. We have to help people see that there is this one God who loves them so much that he made a way that there would be no way or no person who could keep them from him. Jesus Christ is his name. That's what it says. Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He's saying there's one man, who, this mediator, there's one God, this Jesus Christ. What he has done is he has made a way for all people, all people, to know their God. He says the word ransom, meaning he, it's a language of we've been bought back. You're held hostage. Hope none of you ever are. Someone pays for you to become to, to 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 get your freedom. That's called a ransom. If you don't know, love, and trust Jesus, you are held captive. You are a slave, imprisoned. If you worship multiple gods, you've been lied to. You've been trapped. You've been enslaved. Man, that's so many people. I know, that's why he's saying pray for all of them. Even the people in high authority, we got to get to them. They need to hear. So they can be freed. They can be saved. Why? Because the ransom has already been paid. This isn't Jesus is waiting for you to, to walk an aisle so that he can put his money forward to pay your ransom. He's already paid the ransom with his life. He was nailed to a cross in your place for your sin. That if you would trust him, you would receive the freedom that he already paid, the ransom he already paid for you. He says that's a testimony. That's something to be told, to tell. Not to be quiet about. A testimony is not a, something to just, oh, well, Christians should keep it to themselves. No, this is the stuff that should be getting all the, the attention of everyone everywhere. He says, for it was appointed, for I was appointed a preacher. He's like, you can't shut me up. And an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher to the Gentiles, meaning in faith and truth. What do he say? The Gentiles, meaning not just the Jews. Salvation was not just for Jewish individuals. It's for all people, even the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning literally anyone who's not Jewish. We're praying to the one God who loves all people and desires all kinds of people to be saved. That's what he's saying. This is the only way one is saved. It's through, the, through Jesus Christ, the one God, the one mediator. He's the only one who can take away the sins of the world. It's the only way you can be saved. 
This is the news you tell people. This is the news you, you plead with your friends to know. And here's the deal. I would imagine this, that if you began to start telling people that you know about Jesus and that he paid their penalty for their sin, you'd probably start praying. Like, hey, dude, I don't know what I'm going to say when I walk in that conversation. I'll be nervous. Like, I've seen their Facebook posts. They're going to hate me. Like, so instead, what do you do? What do you, instead, I just won't say anything. I'll be a coward. I'll be fearful. I'll hide. I don't want to offend anyone. Don't want to not leave a peaceful life, you know, <laughs> verse up there. Again, that's what I'm saying. That's God's job. It's your job to tell the truth in love. Don't be mean. Don't pick a fight. But plead. Beg. Help them see that there's only one God, one mediator, one Jesus, who, hear me this, loves them even in their rebellion, even in their denial, even when they forsake him, even when they persecute him. He loves them, and he desires them to be forgiven, to be made whole, to be made one, united with the church, with Jesus forever, relationship with the one God, the one creator, the one king, the one savior. Do you believe that? Preach it. Paul says, I've been appointed to preach it. You don't have to stand up and preach it. Sit down over coffee. Tell them. Plead with them. And be praying that God would bless his word. That's how it works. That's the only way it works. Charles Spurgeon, when he was known for, for preaching, people were like, how, 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 many, why, how come so many people are getting saved every single week when you preach? And he says, not because of me, not because of anything. My people pray. If you want this church to be a place where people are radically getting saved, then prioritize prayer. Prioritize prayer. Now he, uh, he addresses the men. He says this, I desire then, because I want to see people saved, because I want you to live godly lives, because I want to see the city transformed, because, because of, uh, I, you're prioritizing prayer, I need you to see this. He says, I desire then that in every place, what he means is all the churches, not just the Ephesus, but all the churches and, and, uh, that, that he's, he's overseeing, that the men should pray. That's what he says. The men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's fighting. What he's saying here is this. The big point, one of the big, one of the big points he's making here is that as the men go, so the church will go. And when he was just talking about prioritizing prayer and he got real excited about the gospel that there's one mediator. And he says, hey, in all the churches, I need the men to pray. What he's not saying is women can't pray, but he's saying the men must pray. As the men go, the church will go. Paul knows this. And Paul is telling Timothy, the leader of the church, this. And so what is, one of the things he's doing is he's confronting the reality that men don't like to pray. You're like, man, I love to pray. Awesome. Most men don't. St- studies will tell us that uh, even to this day, more, uh, women are more likely to pray by uh, 17% to be exact. So about 20% more likely to pray um, are women than men. Men are not more likely to pray. Globally. I think, no, 70% in America, it's more globally. It's about 20% worldwide. Women are more likely to pray than men. So he's not saying women can't pray. He's just saying men don't. The men don't pray. He said, I need the, the men in the church to pray, to prioritize praying. And he's saying that this, this uh, we've been, I need the men to pray because as the men go, the church will go. I need you to see this. This has been something we've, we've, we've sought to apply this verse for quite some time. We believe this, that as the men go, the church goes. We believe that, that God's men must pray. We believe this. And over t- the course of time, some people have been, have cr- been criticized for it. I don't care uh, because that's what the, the text says. That's what God says. Men must pray. And what's been super cool? Well, it's super cool. We have a, a pre-service prayer meeting every Sunday, uh, 2.30. Uh, last week, I think, someone said, uh, hey, is this like a men's only prayer meeting because like there was one woman even today there was three and the rest were 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 men we overfilled the room we were in what I'm not saying is to to shame anyone for not being there I'm not saying more women need to come or less men need to come or more men need to come what I'm saying is that 
we defy the statistics by God's grace. This is something to celebrate, to rejoice in. That the men in this church, imperfect as they are, have prioritized praying. They've prioritized it. If you're looking for a church and you're like, what are some of the metrics? Well, do the men pray? Do the men pray? And so it's a, it's a, it's a group open to all. It's a word of mouth primarily thing. So it's not, you're like, I didn't know about it because we're not sharing it much. Now you know. But the men are there. The men are praying. And I've heard the prayers of, of several men over the course of the, this whole year that, that it's been going on. And I've seen God changing men. And you can see someone's life with Jesus through the way they pray. Charles Spurgeon, I keep mentioning him, also said that you can tell when someone doesn't pray when they start praying out loud. You're like, ah, you know that guy doesn't pray. And so we've seen men, we've seen women as well, but we've seen the men begin to actually prioritize, take hold of praying. I've heard testimonies from, from women in the church of, of, of how that has changed and shaped in their marriage. Like, so, so what you're saying is that the guy started praying more than all of a sudden his life changed, kind of like Paul was saying. Amen. And so we not only prioritize prayer, but we, we, we aim to do that in many different ways. We have a pre-service prayer meeting before we, we gather uh, on our, our men's group. We pray. We end with prayer. The women do the same. Like we pray. We're trying to not just prioritize prayer, but if you don't know how to pray, we want to help you. We want to teach you. That's why I mentioned earlier about my kids. Like, thank God for something, ask God for something. Start there. Prayer should be a normal thing for men. It's not. It should be a normal thing. We pray all the time in our house. Not long prayers. Never have we prayed like 10 minutes like at a time at our house. It's a lot of short prayers. Meals, great opportunities before we go to bed, great opportunities. Also, like I oftentimes just love to run, grab my kids, pick them up, and like whisper a prayer in their ear before they go on the mat at jujitsu. I pray for them sometimes in the car, sometimes right before they, they walk on, especially if one of the kids is having a, an attitude issue or, uh, man, they're, they're just really scared or, uh, or they just don't want to uh, engage in something. Uh, often, sometimes I'll talk to my son because he doesn't like to read, uh, and he's like, I don't want to do this. So we pray, we pray, we prioritize prayer. Man, that's what we should be doing. Yes, women pray. Men must pray. For if the men of the church don't pray, the church won't exist. And so what he's talking about here is is the posture of a man's heart in prayer. He says, he speaks of holy hands, extended hands. What this is is a, a picture or a posture of submission. Submission to God. Submission to, uh, uh, to, to, to authority, to surrendering, to seeking God, knowing that you can't control everything, but God can. That's what he's saying, this posture of, of holy hands, extending them. He's saying that this is not simply just to raise your hands randomly. He's saying that the, the posture is saying, God, I need you. I need your help. And then he addresses their uh, relationships or their heart uh, also in that they are angry uh, and quarreling. You didn't know this, men are prone to anger. Some of you are like, I'm not. You're just manifested differently. Paul's not just uh, singling out only the angry guys. Uh, anger isn't always produced in the same way that as, as other. And we always think of violent anger. But even in violent anger, there's more men who have uh, the studies even with road rage. There's more road rage uh, of incidents revolving, involving men than there are women. It's just the men in the church, he's like, man, y'all are angry and y'all are fighting and it's affecting your prayer life. The issue is not anger, uh, it's ungodly anger. He says in, in James, uh, James says that it, it is ungodly, the, the, the anger of the world does not produce the righteousness of God. And Paul's saying, hey, but y'all, are, y'all are quarreling, uh, y'all are prone to anger, this isn't going to produce godliness, this isn't going to help your prayer life. This isn't going to help your relationship with God. And so a man's prayer life or his relationship with God, therefore, is hindered by both of these things. By the posture of his heart, is he in submission to God? Does he worship God? Is he uh, obedient to God? Does he need God or does he only need himself? Like when you only need yourself, 
You, what do you do? You flee. Or is he so angry? This is what typically happens to men. When they're aware of their anger, what do they do? They don't run to God. They run from God. I can't talk to him like this. I'm so angry, so upset. Man, God's holy. God's good. He's righteous. Man, I can't, I can't, can't bring this to him right now. So men shove down their anger. So if you're not a violent, angry guy, maybe you, you've shoved it down and you're a passive-aggressive, angry guy. Those exist. And so what he's saying is that there's this posture that men have that, that, is, that it directs the heart or is directed at the heart, their holy hands or their relationships. A man's uh, submission, his posture should be one of submission and trust that God is in control. But his relationships should look like he is uh, in, in such a way that he's living at, at peace with others. He's not needing to fight everybody. The Bible does talk about righteous anger. But, it's, but uh, James also tells us about righteous anger that we're to be slowed, slow to anger. So typically if your anger comes on fast, it's not, it's not righteous. You're like, but I'm, I'm angry at the right thing. God's angry at that thing too. Yeah, he's slow to anger. How do you know? The fact that that thing exists and that person didn't get wiped off the face of planet Earth. If you ever think you're so mad, you're so righteous in your anger, and you're like, something's got to be done now. And God's like, you think? You think I don't see this, son? Cool your jets, man. Let's think sober-mindedly. Let's make a plan. Let's address this thing. I am so angry, so angry that I killed my son over it. He took the place of that sin. Don't worry. And if, if those people don't repent, they don't trust Jesus, they will get wrath forever. Don't worry, son. All your venting aside, it will be handled. Be slow to anger. So what do you do? What do you do if you're angry? What do you do if you're a man and you're like, man, I am angry all the time. I just feel this pent-up aggression and I'm just angry. I look around certain things in this world. I'm mad at that. I'm mad at that. That person treated me poorly. I'm not getting respected at home. All these things, I'm just angry. What if that's you? What do you do? You don't run from Jesus and deprioritize prayer. You prioritize it even more. Even more. You spend more time with God, more prayer, more seeking. And what do you do? You start with confessing it. Sometimes, men, you need to think of this as, as, as Jesus and when you're praying to him as, as, the, uh, as, a place, uh, as a man who you can verbal process things with. You need to come home and vent to your wife or, or call your friend and vent to him. You need to vent to Jesus. Why? Because he can handle it. He's not going to be emotionally swayed by your venting. He's not going to start hating the people you hate because you hate them and you're mad or upset. He's going to be sober-minded all the way through. He's the best counselor. They call him wonderful counselor, actually. He's great. He's awesome. Vent to Jesus with your anger. Don't stay there. But, but if you need a, an outlet to, to communicate your frustration or your verbal processor, and as you say things out loud, you're like, wow, that was evil. You have an opportunity to repent. Maybe you, you journal your prayers. So you write them out and go, whoa, when I said destroy that man, <laughs> That one, circle that, I need to repent of that one. But what men don't do, we don't process anything verbally, we don't pray, we don't journal, we don't write, we, don't, we just pin up what we're feeling and, and press it down because we think that expressing our feelings is, is somehow weakness. Confess, verbal process, vent, lament, cry, whatever you need to do, check your, your emotions, particularly your anger, with God in prayer. So if you don't prioritize prayer, you never have an opportunity to bring these Request these frustration, this anger to God. Ask God to, hey, is this righteous? Okay, how can I be slow? What do I need to do in light of it? I'm not saying just pray and then walk away and go, I will do nothing about this. If you're angry about a, a, a thing that must change, then, then sober mind, get, get sobered up with Jesus in prayer through confession and then go lead a, a life that's quiet and dignified. That's what he's saying. The result of that should result in how you respond. Not to just dismiss it like, oh, I got angry so I can't do anything about this. No, confess it and repent. Just because you're angry doesn't mean that you shouldn't still respond. You shouldn't, you shouldn't make your decision based on your anger. But you still might need to make a decision. Have a conversation. Talk to your boss. But maybe not when you're raging hot with rage. Maybe after. One might get you fired. The other might get you erased. Like literally, chill out. Speak with the Lord. Use wisdom. Repent where you need to. 
And then in prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to help you, to remind you of the gospel, that you're a son, you love, that, that God loves you, that you're forgiven even of your sin. We're going to go, we're going to spend a greater length of time talking about the things that hinder men's prayer life that build men this week. So be sure to show up. But, but Paul knows here, Paul knows here that the church, uh, the, 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 they must have men who have attitudes that are godly, they, that they have hearts that are, that are pleasing to God, that, that their hearts worship Jesus. The way the men's hearts uh, and their, their attitudes on, with relationships and in prayer is going to ultimately affect the entire church. Timothy's ministry is contingent on the men answering this call that Paul has for them to prioritize prayer, to have uh, submissive hearts to the Lord God, that to, uh, to quit being unrighteously angry and fighting all the time. So if they don't stop doing those things, the church is not gonna make it. Paul's not writing good advice to the church. He's writing with urgency, he says, prioritize this, because if you don't, the church will be hindered. As the men go, so the church goes. Now, he addresses the women. He says, likewise, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, with gold or, or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Likewise, what is meaning here? Paul is saying, like the men, like the men, the women's heart affects the trajectory of the church. That's what he's saying. Likewise, like the men, how the, the way the men go, also women, you too, have an effect on the way the trajectory of the church. And so I, I don't need you to, I, I don't mean to imply that in anything that I've said up to this point is meant that women have no uh, effect or impact on the church. Like as the men go, the church goes, absolutely. Because if the men go astray, then and the women are left to, to pick up the pieces. We find ourselves in the United States of America. That's where we're at. Like we are living in the, in the rubble of that. That's what we have done. And so what, what I'm not saying is that women don't have a part to play. I'm saying they have, a, they have a great part to play. Women have great dignity and value as image bearers of God. And they have a purpose. And so what Paul is, is speaking to, he's not saying all women, but he's saying he's, saying, he's going to talk about some of the things that women do. And he's going to say all women need to do this, good works. That's where he's getting to. I need you to see this. That's where he's getting to. So he's addressing the masculine anger. And he's, he's, he's addressing also feminine charm. Use that term because that's what Proverbs 31 uses. This, this, this issue here. And so before we get into it, I just need to make it clear. This is, we've entered now in the waters of controversy. We're here. If you didn't, you probably already knew that, right? Like we're here. We are there. Like this is us. Like the, the show or us right now, we're here. We're in the, we're in the waters. And I'll say this, that uh, tomorrow, next week we'll, we'll probably be, we'll be totally, we'll be, not, we're ankle deep right now. We're going to be in over our head next week. Pray for me. Prioritize it. Uh, and I need you to know this, that perhaps many of you may be prone, men included, to be offended. And so uh, you, you, you may be prone to. We've prayed, literally we were praying today in, our, in, in pre-service for that. We would, none of us would have hearts that were easily offended. That's, that, you should pray that for yourself. But why are, we, why are we so offended and why might you be offended? Well, first is the reality in Genesis 3.16, uh, one of the things that God told Eve and, and told this to all uh, womankind is that part of the curse because of our your rebellion against God and your sin nature this is unique to women that they will they will desire to rule over their husbands yet they won't be able to and so there is an intrinsic sin desire that desires to usurp the man's authority now, men, you've made it really easy. Like, you've laid down your authority. You walked out on your, you know, we, you did some foolish stuff. Like, so men, we look around, we're like, men have been awful. You're right. But women have also, they have been discipled with their sin nature from their mother Eve to uh, usurp a husband's authority. Now, I'm not saying, hear me, I said husband's authority. Not all men are in authority over women. I said, but, but what has happened, though, is, is we've flattened that culturally, and so which has led to our world seeking to, therefore, because of that, dismantle any sort 
of gender norms, biblical gender norms. Here we say this, biblical gender norms. If you want to talk about gender norms with me, that's great. Let's talk about them from the Bible, not from uh, toxic culture. Like, don't, don't say that. I'm not saying those are norms. I'm saying get back to the scriptures. Go so old school, back to the book. That's where we're going. And so what, what, what we've done in our culture is we, we've, we've sought to dismantle gender norms, biblical gender norms, and, uh, in, in a posture that says that women can do everything a man can do. You're like, I believe that. Well, you used to think that women could do, uh, or sorry, that women could do everything a man could do, but a man could not do everything a woman could do. We used to think that. But now men can get pregnant. So that has already been flattened. Like that's the wild world. You need to understand this. You need to understand this. This is the world we live in and why it's going to be so hard to navigate forward is because we live in a world that not only dismantled, sought to, on purpose, dismantle biblical gender norms and it has resulted in now that, that a woman can do anything a man can do and vice versa. A man can do anything a woman can do, even get pregnant. You're like, how is that possible? Well, if a woman transitions to a man, calls herself a man, has a baby, now a man got pregnant. It's not true. It's not really a man. We all know this. But if you would say this, like, that, I just said hate speech right now. Like, that's where we're at in the world. And so we're so afraid to look at things biblically that we get all twisted in this regard. Not only do we not know what, uh, that, that men can get pregnant now, that we don't know what a woman is, and then we want to talk about uh, women's reproductive rights, but what is a woman? How, do, how is she supposed to have rights if we don't know what one is and if there's not norms? The whole conversation in our culture is going nuts. Why? Because we don't understand what the Bible says about masculinity, about femininity, about women, and about men. That's why we're in the place where we're at. It's because we, we, we have forsaken God in his word and we're trying to piecemeal this whole thing back together in a way that is actually harming women. So then people go, well, Paul, he's a misogynist and he must hate women. He doesn't. There's a lot of work I have to do to, to unpack what he's saying so that we can actually live godly lives. The world has lost its mind. The trajectory of the world, we, I was looking at the stats today, that uh, every year since the boomer generation to the present, uh, the, the LGBT community has, has doubled. Right now, over 20% of the LGBT community, or, or Gen Z identifies LGBTQ, or whatever other things that are added there. 20%, meaning that if the, if the, if the trends continue uh, in our lifetime, everyone, the entire world, our entire United States, I mean, will be, uh, you know, uh, on the spectrum of uh, the LGBTQ. Like, that's the trajectory. They're discipling the nations. And it's, and it's the attack went right back to where it all began, male and female. That's where Satan showed up. That's where culture has showed up. And so I need you to see this. The issue is not... Stopping a cultural flood. My issue here and Paul's issues here is equipping the women, the Christian women, to be godly. But because of all that other noise, it's, it's, it's clouding, it will cloud your view and shape what he said. Because some of you immediately heard, heard this when it says modesty and you immediately draw a sword and get defensive. Some of you get angry. You're like, I... I'm doing the man's sin. Why? Because you desire to rule over him. And we get that from, from Genesis 3. We get that from Genesis 3. Now, what he is saying is that just like men, women in their posture of worship, in their heart of worship, affects Christian women. It affects the trajectory of the church as well. The anger of the world never, in male or female, produces the righteousness of God. And so, I'll make this claim. It is possible. So, in Proverbs 31, it says that charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so, what Paul is talking about here in this text is apparel, like physically what you're wearing. And so, it is possible that, that this type of ungodly uh, external adorning 
of themselves uh, has been discipled out of the church, but it was not replaced with the good works that Paul said. It was replaced with masculinity in our, in our women. That's what it was replaced with. Like, so we, we, we saw charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, girls, you know, be modest, girls be modest. See, that's the problem is that we focus only on what's not to do and never get to the, the good works. That's what we should have been doing. And so we should have been focused on, on male and female husbands and wife working together uh, as a, as a complement. And it overflowed to their kids, their grandkids, and to the greater Christian world as we know it. But it wasn't. We, we discipled perhaps sinful, feminine charm out of the church, but we replaced it not with the fear of the Lord or good works. We've replaced it with something else. So some, some women will read this and go, well, I mean, no one's walking around, you know, trying to show off their, their, their clothes. I mean, some people are, but that's just not most people. So this is outdated. Let's throw this away. No. And so what, what, how then should a woman adorn herself? How then should she? Well, he says this with her good works, but he's also saying that her beauty is not the object to be worshipped. He's saying worship God with your beauty. Is he saying you can't wear pearls or, or have a necklace or braid your hair or, you know, you know, have makeup? He's not saying that at all. He's saying that, that is your beauty what you worship? Or is it God who you worship? Do you worship your beauty or worship God with your beauty? And if you're worshiping your beauty, you want your beauty for everyone to see. But if you worship God with your beauty, you want your husband to see it. It's not, it's not an issue, it's not beauty. The issue is worship. The issue is worship. And so as you get older, uh, particularly women are like, I don't struggle with this one anymore because, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, I just don't for whatever reason, they might say. Uh, but here's the deal. A lot of younger women struggle in this regard. And so it's your, uh, it is our job, not just my job to preach it, but the culture of the women in the church to continue to reinforce and specifically disciple what we're trying to, 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 to get out, uh, what we're trying to produce in the hearts of our women are good works. But some will be prone to, to using their, their beauty as, as an appeal to uh, approval. Or using their beauty as an appeal to just simply get a husband or, or get a date. So I need you to understand this. And, and Amos, uh, got, he, he's a prophet, and he said that the women that, who are elegant and decadent, Hear me this. This is what he says. Not me. This is not me. This is God through his word, through his messenger, Amos, and now through me. He calls those who are, who are so decadent, and he calls them, uh, who, who care so, the women who care so much about how, how they look, he calls them cows of Bashan. No woman wants to be called a cow. So what he is saying is that, like, hey, it's, there's a type of femininity that's so self-expressive and, 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 and uh, self-centered that's elegant and external that it turns off godly men. You're like, men need to have self-control. Yeah, I know. So do women. It says, with modesty and self-control. We're all guilty of that one. Let's all have it. It's from, the Holy Spirit gives it to us. So we should be... Focusing not just simply on what not to wear, but then what to do. To be self-controlled, to be godly, to be good works. So it's not just modest is hottest. But that's all that everyone used to say in the church. I think it's funny it is. It's modest is hottest. Like, okay. Like, when did someone go, fearing the Lord is what we're after. That's what we're after. Good works is what we're after. Like, living out our faith is what we're after. We just told a bunch of women to just... Not wear makeup and, you know, you'll be, you know, God loves you and you're good enough. Uh, but no one said, hey, here's how to live out biblical Christianity. The men didn't get taught. The women didn't get taught either. And guess who taught us both? The culture. So we find ourselves in this weird mess. So not only are we to dress like we have dignity, but, but to, uh, to live, ladies, uh, the church needs you on this mission. Don't be derailed. And so, now some are concerned with external apparel, how they look, but now let me dig a little deeper. Others are concerned about what others think about them. So men are, are prone to anger in a, way that, in a way that women are prone to approval. 
Can, do men struggle with approval? Yes. Do women get angry? Yes. What I'm saying is in the same way men are prone to anger, the women in the church are prone to approval. So if it's not external approval, it's, man, what is, what do my parents think about me and my job? What about my social status at my work? Like, am I, am I, am I making a name for myself? Like, what, what, what do they, what do they see, how do they see me? The degree I have, will that honor my family? Like, we're so primarily often concerned. If we're not concerned, ladies, if you're not concerned with the external appearance, you're concerned about what people think about you. And the job you pick, the man you marry, the, the, the guy you date, you're just concerned about what other people think about you over and over and over again. And so that leads you to make decisions based off of approving yourselves to men, sometimes in apparel, but approving yourselves to maybe your, your coworkers, your job, through uh, the way you, you're, you're so consumed with proving something to somebody. Paul's saying, stop being so consumed with that. Be so consumed with Jesus. Be so consumed with good works. Let the world know that you love Jesus by the way you love and serve people. If you do that, the world will be changed. So I'll end on this point. A wife, if you are married, if you're married, uh, then you are a, one of the titles that you have been blessed to have is helper. It's the same title the Holy Spirit gets. A woman is a helper. Culture and society will tell you that that's not a great title. It's not a good title. Don't really like that title. I want to usurp that title. I want another title. Don't buy into that. It's, it's an awesome thing. God, the Holy Spirit has it. It's great. But a helper, a wife, therefore, is to help her husband on mission, on the mission. Now, when a man's off his mission, it makes it really hard for a wife to help him. If he's off mission, your job is to help him get back on mission. But if, if your husband is on mission, then, then you're to compliment him, to help him. In Proverbs 31, I don't have time to get into it. You can go in and read it. Proverbs 31 is the type of help. There's financial, there's business savvy, there, there's godliness, there's good works. There's all that there. There's virtue. There, there's caring for, for others. This is the type of woman that, that, that helps her husband, like Eve was to do, help, a helper fit for him for his mission. And for non-married women, your chief concern should not be uh, how you dress or what other women think about you in any way. You sh- and if you're not seeking approval in fashion, make sure you're not seeking approval with your social status. In Christ, in Christ, Jesus has approved of you. You are not a product of your environment You're not the sum total of your life. The sin that you've done or the sin against you, you're a daughter of the most high and righteous king. That's what women are. Christian women are. They're prized. They're they're sanctified. If you're a Christian man, then they're your sisters or like your mom. We're a spiritual family. But, but you must see yourself, ladies, not through the lens of what others think of you. You should, and the only person's opinion you should care about is Jesus. What does he think of you? He loves you. He gave himself for you. He's cleansed you. He's freed you. He's adopted you. He'll keep coming after you even in your rebellion. He loves you. Paul says these things because the men will replicate, in the church will replicate, uh, what, what the other men will be like. And the women will do the same. As the men in the church go, the other, men in, uh, the other men they raise up will go. As the women in the church go, so the other women will go. So as we go, so our church goes. Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, 5, 9, that a little yeast will work its way through the entire loaf. So this is a corporate call, but this is also a call to you as an individual. So I, I want us to end with this. What is keeping you? Where in your heart is keeping you? Or what is keeping you from worshiping Jesus with your full heart? We just tackled several things that could be hindering you from approaching Jesus to prioritizing prayer, to, to, to being uh, one with him, seeking him, loving his word, obeying his word, living it out, being transformed and seeing your sphere of influence 
those people be transformed as well. Where? Where are you struggling? How we're going to respond is we're going to take communion. But before we take communion, what I want you to do, uh, before you go to the table, when the communion table is open, if there's something in your heart where there's anger, then confess it to the Lord before you go to the table. If there's bitterness in your heart, you need to confess to the Lord Jesus before you go to the table. If you are angry at me, awesome, praise God, take it to Jesus, not my email. Like, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Confess your anger. Confess your frustration. Confess your anger at him. Confess where your heart is. If, you're, if you feel ashamed because you live your life to, for the approval of others, take it to Jesus. He takes your guilt. He takes your shame. He gives you his life. Where are you at? Before you go to the table, bring the baggage. Bring that what God has stirred up in your heart. Bring it to him in prayer. And then remember that Jesus died in your place for that sin. He cleanses you. He forgives you. He adopts you. He's made you whole. Why? Because there's one God. And there's one mediator. He paid your ransom. You are adopted. You're forgiven. You're clean. So confess. Pray. And then, in gladness and joy, go to the table, take and receive, for you're an adopted son and daughter of the king. Let's pray. Jesus, would you bless these men and women as we respond? Respond to your word. May we see that our lives are to be modeled, built after, focused on Jesus. And may the trajectory of our lives be congruent with his word, will, and ways and point people to him. And now may we look to you, Jesus, our one God, our one Savior, our one mediator, our, you who died in our place for our sins. May we look for you, look to you, casting our burdens, casting our cares, casting our sin on you. And would you sustain us now and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.